Hello, I'm your host, Giselle Gandhi, and this is the Intuitive Pool Podcast, where together we'll embrace the plans we did not make yet unfold businesses and lives that are so much greater in wealth in all ways than any business or life plan could ever achieve. My wish is that you make intuition your most trusted advisor. So buckle up, get present, and let's go. So welcome back, listeners. This is like a marathon of podcast episodes this week. This is my fourth episode, and it's only Thursday. And I I end off the last episode this week with a bang. I ended off with a really, really powerful woman called Leanne Minshall, who I met probably about six, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so, I think. Yeah, about 18 months ago. Something like that. So I want to let you know who Leanne is. And and, And I also want to let you know why I was inspired to bring Leanne to the podcast. So Leanne was in the mastermind for a year and then finished and, you know, went and lived life. And then wrote me a message and said, my comfort zone is so big. It's become so big. Let me be of service in some way, whatever way that, you know, that that comes to you. And that message arrived, I think it was the day before I was about to run a retreat three weeks ago. And I was like, this is just perfect. And Leanne Leanne came and did a piece to the uh, Catalyst Mastermind. And one of the participants said she was so affected by it that it actually felt like, and nobody's religious here, but she felt like it was like as if Leanne was testifying. (laughs) (laughs) She had a really, really big experience. So it inspired me to uh, share Leanne with the greater community. So let me tell you a little bit about (laughs) Leanne. (laughs) So Leanne says, that she likes to examine social and organizational structures and then to push the boundaries that need to be lent on. I mean, there's nothing small about Leanne. (laughs) (laughs) This has required me to walk into my personal fears until the fear as all illusions do fades and disappears. From a background point of view, Leanne's got a law degree and a master's of law. She's been involved in environmental and social justice activism from concreting herself into a 44-gallon drum to halt work at a uranium mine to being an associate director of a boutique ratings agency to being sued by a large corporation and then seeding transnational litigation against climate crimes. She says that she's worked in politics directly as a senior advisor for a federal senator and the chief of staff for a state minister and outside of politics, helping to shape the landscape upon which politicians can make their decisions. And most recently, and this was the time that we were working together, Leanne co-founded a political party aimed at pushing the boundaries of traditional party structures that are hierarchical and exclusionary. She ran in the federal election just gone for the Tasmanian Senate. She didn't win, but she is working towards future elections and her current project is launching her career as a stand-up comedian. And she signs off Leanne Minshaw, publican and failed politician. (laughs) So welcome. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me, Giselle. Ah, great. Great. I just know that big things are going to happen from this, uh, from this episode. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So you were somebody that I I really, really loved being with because you would just eat up 
the process. You would eat it up, mm. right? And and the result of eating up the process was a lot of freedom. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So can you talk to us about you and, and actually I need to say this. You were in the program when the theme of the year in 2021 was nothing but miracles. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, miracle is defined as a shift in perception from fear to love. Yeah. And really that was your that was your experience, right? What was fear moved into love? What was fear moved into love? Yes. And, and you were running for politics, you know, like <laughs> those things normally go together. For environment in that environment? No, not normally. And it was actually part of the reason why I um remember when I first spoke to you at our first you know, when we had a hours call or something just to, um, you know, we were in, in, when we went through that first introductory call. Yeah. And, you know, I explained to you that <clears throat> I have always worked in or around politics or social movement or, you know, using all different types of tools. And I really felt drawn to get back or compelled to get back into directly engaging in politics in Australia because I'd been overseas for a few years. But I didn't want to get back into the toxic nature of politics because I just, so I felt like this responsibility, which is odd for me because I don't usually feel responsible. I usually just feel compelled, mm-hmm. um, which is a real, which is a difference. And, but <clears throat> I um, felt a responsibility, but also a weight. I didn't, I really didn't want to do it. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to have all the anger. I didn't want to go back into working in traditional ways. Um, and so you said, what if it was your joy rather than your burden? And that one comment kind of kept me on track for the whole year, apart from anything else, because like every time that I'd start getting really angry or I'd start working out, you know, how to use my old tools. Um, Because I was a... Which would have been? Well, which would have been um, just sort of Machiavellian divisiveness, you know, so it's... And I was good at that. And and it's hard to go from being really good at something to being an apprentice at something new. Mm. But um, it has to be done if you want to change things or want to change yourself. Like you, you're going to hit times, I think, in your life where you're going, okay, well, I'm an absolute master at the old way, but do I want to keep on being really good at something that's not right? Or do I jump in and become an apprentice at, you know, 55? Actually, I'm 57. I always forget how old I am. But I suppose at the time I was 55. Um to do something different so that's that's what I did and every time I felt myself flip you know either being cranky or angry or thinking you know I could stitch up this or I could get that person by doing this other thing I would just say oh hang on no that's just bad energy and that's going to be a burden if you do that rather than you joy so I'd think about doing something that brought joy rather than um you know the heavy burdensome things so it was very, for me personally, it was very liberating. Mm. Mm. Already, you know, when these episodes create themselves, right? Yeah. Like I don't have a list of questions to ask you. Yes. Yeah, okay. Like it's not planned. No, no. And so I, I'm always watching, well, what's happening here? What's happening here? And already, already, you know, the humility that you had that you've demonstrated about letting go of being the master of those old Machiavellian ways yeah. At a time when you're actually creating a new political party and running mm. for Senate, and instead you chose humility because mm. to be the apprentice requires humility. 
Yes. So normally, yeah. normally that doesn't go hand in hand with creating a new political party. In a year no. that you're going, you're running for in a federal election, like humility doesn't normally go there. No. Right? <laughs> so what I'm seeing already is I feel like there are going to be some really heavyweight people listening to this episode mm. who this is going to be quite provocative for them and, yeah. so, uh, and introspective about what ways are they showing up kind of in the old Machiavellian way. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's it's. I feel like it's going to be really provocative. So, wonderful. well, it's inter- it's interesting because I've had time to reflect on the election itself, the election campaign that we ran. So, if I was thinking about it, like it's definitely a net positive, absolutely. But I always look at um, what's been done. Like I've never been frightened of failing. I actually, that's not one of my um, fears. Um, well, I suppose that I've just got a different view on what failure is. So you could never take on a seemingly unwinnable environmental battle and lots of the ones that I've been involved with, I knew that we wouldn't get a short-term win from it. Like I just I knew we wouldn't. Um, and so from that perspective, I mean, no one like gets up of a morning and goes, I hope I fail today. But, um, you know, I've never been ta- frightened of taking on things that I might not get what people would perceive as an immediate win. Um, and, but I think that, and I've also got slightly COVID foggy brain. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Hearing you, hearing you. (laughs) But, um, I think what I meant, what I'm saying is though, it is, it is good to go from, I, I may have gone slightly too far with dropping all of my old ways which led to a campaign that was perhaps less provocative than it could have been. However, what I was saying is like a net positive. If I had to do one or the other, I've still come out way ahead. Yeah. And the party itself has come out way ahead. Yeah. But if I'm looking at like what are the things that could have been done slightly differently, I think I was so conscious of not operating from a bad space and also I had it in my head. One of our funders um, that we first got, you know, they gave us $50,000 and said, take that, but don't run after the environment vote. So I stayed completely away from climate, which is bizarre given that I've spent 30 years fighting for it, which is also bizarre because since when have I ever listened to somebody that just because they're a donor, like I'm truthful and honest with donors and I'm pretty good. I've worked out over this journey at raising money but it's always because I'm really honest, but I listen to them like, so I think that I'd listened. So if, you know, people listen to this and they're thinking about going from the master to the apprentice, um, and this isn't the first time I've done it, but this is the first time I've done it so wholeheartedly. (laughs) And just, and because I've been in an, like in an arena, which is super, um, not controversial. What's the word I'm looking for? Adversarial. Mm. Um, It's very adversarial. So um, I'm glad that I didn't. Like if it was a choice between a slightly better campaign but um, not keeping the integrity of the purpose of doing politics differently, I'm, I'm really happy with where we've yeah. landed. Yeah. But I think if the next time I do this, because I'll inevitably, I'm not saying I'll start another political party, but there will be another thing where I just go, oh, okay, I can learn more here. Mm. I think I'll 
I'll just take a little bit more of my old skills through with my new skills. But yeah. this time I had to do it. I yeah. just had to. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 like you had to go down this way it, to then come back, like next time we'll come back into more balance, right? Yeah. And yeah. and it's not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's just making sure is it coming from fear? Is it fueled by fear or is it fueled by love? And love isn't always, you know, um, butterflies and rainbows and and listening to others and taking on other people's advice and like yeah. love can be bloody provocative. Yes. Yes, love, absolutely. So love can be really <laughs> uncomfortable and can that's disturb. Really good. That's a good point. Like that's exactly, um, yeah, that's exactly where I perhaps got the balance wrong. I was just like really listening and really facilitating. But having said that, because of that, some really great things came out of it. And one of the best things is that we could have looked back after the election and said, um, it, like we're, we're able to look back after the election and go, that was a campaign that was run in completely a different way than any other campaign I've ever been involved with. And that we all held space for each other and also held each other to account when we had to. And so to make that a little bit, to, to give you a concrete example, one of the things when you're under pressure anywhere, but particularly I've noticed in politics and NGOs, is that the pressure will amp up and then people will start to, there'll, there'll be someone or something that everybody will turn to. So we all hate the media because the media isn't giving us enough attention or we all hate, you know, Mary, the volunteer who's not doing a job properly enough and it feeds into its own energy. And... Every time I heard somebody start to go down that track, even if partially they were right, I would just listen to them and I'd let them run out and then I'd come back and say something very, you know, um, yes, the media can be frustrating sometimes. How about we try this thing? Whatever it was, I would accept and then bridge and then content, like convert to whatever the, you know, the conversation was that I thought was a more productive one. And what I really noticed was that everybody started doing that. So actually, so rather than create a uh, culture where we were all piling on and, you know, there's been studies I remember reading years ago where there's certain parts of your brain that are lit up when you gossip with each other in an, uh, and because it bonds you. And if you think about, if you think about it, that does happen when you, um, especially when you're younger and that's a way that we create tribes and gossip most of the time is very positive. And it, but it also actually happens with sporting teams and fans at games. Like we all feel bonded to the person beside me that normally we'd have nothing in common with other than we want the Tigers to win the final. Mm. So I was thinking it is, it, it's a thing. It's a human thing apart from a political thing. So that's what I meant by holding each other to account. It wasn't sitting down and saying, now you shouldn't be like this or we've had to have a talk with you. You know, I didn't let it get to the point where an intervention was required. Mm. We just did it naturally. And then that kind of took on its own energy. Mm. Um, and, and as a result of that, on election night, for example, I've been at election parties. I've been at Labor election parties and I've been at Greens election parties. I've never been at a Liberal election party. And at those parties, your whole mood is tied to the result that the party itself is getting. So, you know, you, you can be happy overall if there's a more progressive government. But you really, the mood of the night and the crowd swings on who gets booted out in your own party and who gets in. 
So at election night we had here at our pub and I looked around and I thought, I've never seen such a diverse group of people. So there was women who were like, you know, really wealthy older ladies. There was union delegates from the CFMEU. There were hippies. There were like pretty corporate people. There were a bunch of coppers that I know. Like it's really diverse and people were screaming with delight at every good thing that happened mm. that was completely not related to the fortunes or misfortunes of our party. Mm. So I just thought, yeah, okay, we have created something mm. and it takes a lot to create what we've just done. And so I was, I'm not sure I've got to have a little rest and then get back into it and decide what's next. But we, yeah, that's, that's a political culture I've never, never seen. I want to ask you what was the cause of that, but before before you answer, I, I know that one of the causes was what you just described. You you know you talked about um, when you were you bond you you bonded first of all by accepting your current reality, right? You weren't judging, you weren't judging the lay of the land. You were in acceptance. This is where we're at, and then you bridged it, and then you created a a new way, right? Yeah. So just the fact that that connection was created from a place of originally from a place of acceptance, not resignation, but acceptance mm. and not judgment is mm. what created that, you know, the diversity of people from hippies to, you know, really wealthy women to politicians to whatever. That, yeah. You know, that's one of the causes, right? Because it, because acceptance is, it welcomes, it welcomes, it doesn't divide. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right, which That's is right, what, and you talked about adv- adversarial, the adversarial nature of politics that is divisive. You didn't come in from that place, so that's definitely well, one of the causes. What else? What else was? Well, the- I think I think the thing is too, um, because I was talking to an old friend in the Labor movement, Labor Party movement, not Labor Union movement, and he was saying, "Well, you know, Leanne, I'm just an old collectivist," and I said, "So am I," and I said, "And I'm tribal, but I'm not tribal to a party. I'm tribal to humans, and I'm tribal to ideas." <laughs> And yeah. so it's a new form of tribalism because I think humans that we are tribal, but if you have that negative um, manifestation of it, yeah, um, where you know where I mean, I even remember it growing up in my family. We had this huge family with lots of cousins and everyone, and you know, you always used to say have internal fights, but then we'd have this tribalism, like, well. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, if your family, you're right. And that was comforting in a way, but I always also questioned it because a lot of the times we were just wrong, man. <laughs> we were really wrong. So, I mean, not wrong, wrong. You know, we didn't went violent or anything like that, yeah. but there were times where I think we could have had a more, more robust examination of the way we were operating. Yeah. And then when I, and then I kind of, but I knew the comfort of that. I know the comfort of being in a tribe and I think that's part of the going from the expert to the apprentice. It's also on a personal level going from the comfort of a tribe to creating something new Mm. as was really, really super challenging. But Mm. creating a tribe of people who are attracted to ideas and values Mm. rather than a set of rules and a party logo was what helped us create that. But you know, it is really new. Like yeah. it's it's so new. Who knows where it's going to go to? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So now I want to go to 
you know, what was it in you that talk to us about, because I know there was a lot where you moved fear into love, you know, that allowed you to do what you've just talked about. Yeah. What, what was it that moved? Well, it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine. I've got a friend that I spoke, I've spoken to for about, I don't know, 25 years. And she's a lot like you in that um, she's been a coach for 25 years. But I originally went to see her in Byron when she was charging $50 for psychic readings, you know. <laughs> and um, I was thinking about this after I spoke to her because there's some parallels in your life story. Her, pa- her parents, she lost both her parents in a car crash when she was 15 or 16. Wow. And she ended up going as a young, like 17 or 18, and going to Nepal and spending a lot of time there. She spends a lot of time back there now and meditating for like years. So that's where her journeys come from. And because she knows me so well after, and she also, like my daughter speaks, has spoken to her for 15 or 16 years. When I reconnect with, did with her only a few weeks ago, she just went, and, you know, I said, I can't believe it. And she said, yeah, Leanne, that's, this is your pattern. You always pick your fears. And if they're getting in your way, you just walk into them. You just huh. walk through them. I love and that. And she said, <laughs> she said, this has been a really big one, girlfriend. She said, <laughs> but you jumped off and you didn't know where you were going to land. Um, and so that's true. So part of it was just that, you know, getting back to feeling the responsibility, which is something I don't normally feel. And then thinking about you know how to go forward with that and then realizing that the only way to do it I mean I lost a lot of the driving force in me I lost a lot of the anger and the hate over the past five years and I actually don't even know what that came from a lot of it it was um I mean one thing I realized is that when you're angry you can only hold anger for so long and eventually it'll wear off but if you love something it actually can't wear off. You mm. can't, wear, I mean, you can lose romantic love. I know that. But if you deeply and honestly love a thing or a person or the planet or whatever it is, you just can't give up on it. You can't walk away and say, I'm done with you now. Whereas you can always put down your anger. So I guess I started from that perspective, thinking about what is it that keep people keeps people going. And it was also because of my fear of what was coming in terms of, you know, environmental disruption, social disruption, health disruption. I mean, this was before the plague, but, you know, we knew that there was going to be something like it. Mm. And just thinking what kind of processes will help us as a community through that breakdown or that collapse or whatever we want to call it. And one thing I knew is that you couldn't have a lot of leadership that was leading from hate. You needed leadership from another human emotion or force and that love was the strongest one. So that's where I started. It was just an intellectual thing, actually. Yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe start with yourself, Leanne, work out how you can work (laughs) in a way that's more generous and more loving rather than, you know, more strategic or... I mean, love is strategic as well. That's stupid. I don't want to do, you know, yes. but, but yeah. Um, so that's, that's, where it, that's where it started. And then I started, this really came to me when I started doing the work with you, is just understanding the power and the freedom because that's also something I've always chased as well. Like I just love the, 
the feeling of freedom. I love it. I love having options. And, you know, I was talking to one of my friends the other day and she's just turned 60 and I'm 57 and she just started, we're talking about all the things we could do and she just started laughing and said, isn't it great that we're this age and we still totally believe that we've got all the options in the world? <laughs> um, but so I've always loved the con- the feeling of being free and realised um, when I started doing work with you how much freedom you how much room you made for with freedom once you started to get rid of your fear yeah and how much room fear takes up it takes up so much room yes yes 100 percent 100 percent I was talking about this in in another episode and I have um I have a client who's been sober uh actually we've just finished and he decided to become sober sober before he started working with me and before coming sober so much room was taken up like Mm -hmm. with you know shame and what was the word he used he used this word um not hangover anxiety anxiety yes how you feel the day after oh that's perfect isn't that anxiety and this guy you know I I seem to refer you know he's going to listen to this episode I seem to refer to him a lot in these episodes like through him I now have this new expression multiple streams of joy and income multiple streams so he's multiple streams of joint income he's not just does one thing he's got all these other things that that, because he's got the room for it now yes there's space inside of him now yeah because that addiction that he had and 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 then the 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 emotional habit of the anxiety and the shame it's not there anymore yeah it's so cool so (laughs) yes i think love is the most powerful strategy it is You know what? It's like so far, love is provocative and love is the most powerful strategy, really. Yeah. That's what's here. And you did not uh, only put the focus on, the, you know, the outside of the environment, like how can I influence the environment? You had integrity. You said, I can only influence the outside environment if I shift the anger and the fear I am. Like the freedom yeah. within myself. Yeah. 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 100%. And the other thing is that, you that I that I've found anyway is that there's I feel like I'm on the other side so again just to give a couple of concrete examples you know this one well Giselle but when I first started with you I wouldn't get my I had massive problems with my own image and I just wouldn't get my photo taken and then you know it only took us one session it was a combination actually of um a session with you and then watching some activists do something I don't know if it was I don't think it was the Ukraine war because I don't think it was on then but it was something like people being super brave yeah and I was just like oh really Leanne really are you gonna stop you've got all of this privilege and all of these skills yeah and you're not going to use them because you think you don't want to look at yourself like fuck um sorry yeah. it's part of my language but, oh, but you know, it's just like yeah. just get over it yeah and um I also listened to Scott Ludlam talking um an ex-greens and retired green senator you know what he used to be a green senator and he's an author and he's just written this really amazing book. And I was listening to a podcast with him and he said, just pick something. Like you're probably sitting at home now thinking I should do something. Just do it. Just pick it. Just do it. And I was just like, right, that's three signs. I've <laughs> I'm just going to do it. So, you know, within a, like within weeks I had billboards with my face on it. I was driving around with my face on the side of my car saying, vote one Leanne Mitchell. It was insane. And um, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah 
some of those ones were easy, but the more the more deep seated ones were more difficult. So I still drop into like since the election, I thought, well, you know, because I used to be very involved with the Greens, and I thought. If, and I still have lots of lovely friends in the Greens and I'm st I still, you know, whoop with delight when they win, win something because I think they care about the planet a lot. But I also knew that, you know, some of them would be very cranky at me for trying something different and that if what my worst possible fear would be would be that I'd lose some of my community, mm. they'd try to undermine me during my, my quest mm. and then, um, I would get a, a vote that they saw that was low enough for them to ridicule mm. and then that they would do so in the public square. Yeah. So all of those things happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that fear was deeper and stronger and more public than the one I had to get through about my image. Yeah. But that, that fear has also cleared a lot more than what my image did for me. So like clearing that image fear. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it's because it it was such a block because you can put that onto so many other thing other parts of your life. You can think of, I mean, what it is really is humiliation or yeah. feeling like so yeah. and, rejection. All, and rejection and rejection. Yeah. yeah. So like the first part I dealt with by going, this isn't actually rejection. It's clearing space for other people to be like all of this stuff's about freedom and space and what's right for you at the time as well because. I felt like <clears throat> rather than seeing that shift in my community, don't see it as a loss, see it as a shift. And the people who you've don't who who are no longer interested in having a friendship with you, don't see that as a loss. See it as making space for people mm -hmm. who are more appropriate. Yeah. Both for me and for them. Yeah. So again, I've I've I actually don't have to try hard to stay out of judgment because it's not one of my things. I've got plenty of neuroses, but judgment's not one of them. <laughs> so, so that was good. So that's the first thing. That's okay. Your community's fallen away. That's fine. And then. And I know, and if I may interrupt, if you, are you going to go on to another one now or are you going to finish off that story? No, no. I was going to go on to another one. You yeah. know, there's, because there's, I, I, I know that, uh, I know that on the other side of humiliation and rejection was another experience that you had from other people. What was that? Yes. So, <laughs> well, I was just blown away by how many people um, that I didn't even know existed that just lived in my own, you know, like in my own neighbourhood. So I got support from all over the place, like, you know, from the mainland, from friends overseas were reconnecting with me um, to people who I'd never met before, even though they lived in the same electorate um, and amazing people that I otherwise never would have met if I hadn't have made space for these people to come into it. And also a lot of support from people um, who were, you know, I just found that especially with, because this is a different sort of leadership, it's starting from nothing. I've had leadership positions before, mm. but people have, given me that you know I've applied for a position that's already been created so when you step into that you've got I mean they're still hard they're difficult but you've got organizational structure you've got organizational legitimacy you've got resources you've got hard power because you can hire and fire people you know you've got media attention because you've already got a platform so I'm nothing other than an idea and mm. a compulsion and that kind of leadership is really different. I've never, I've never done this before. Mm. And what I've found is the amount of people who step in behind you and just say thanks for doing this, 
I didn't even know that this is what I needed was really, really amazing. And it's, and that's why vulnerable leadership, right? Yeah, this it is, is vulnerable leadership as opposed yeah. to what you were talking about before when the position's already created. Like you created this, it didn't exist before. Yeah. Isn't it amazing when you step into vulnerable leadership to support you might get the ones that go and humiliate. Yeah. Which you did. Yeah. But then you get the ones that go, wow, total respect. Yes. And also I realised that public humiliation, although I wouldn't go out and put it on my shopping list, (laughs) it's actually not that bad. Like it's actually not that for me, for some other people, but for me I always thought it would be one of the worst things that could possibly ever happen. And, And, you know, people have always, you know, I've always been seen as somebody who will, like, get in and get something done and, and win or, or, you know, go some way towards whatever the end goal is. And I still think I'm there, actually. I still think that this has got a long way to go, the type of political network or structure or party or whatever you want to call it that I'm setting up, that I've set up, that I helped set up. It wasn't just me, obviously. But it was, you know, um, we've got registered a party registered in Tasmania and federally. The amount of people who know about us now is about four times as much as the people who knew about us before the election. And there's, you know, even in the last two weeks of the election, people were kind of, you know, donating money and asking what they could do. And so we really got known during Mm -hmm. that process. And it puts us in a really good position to do the next thing, which is really different than if I'd just gone, I'm going to get myself elected. That's the sixth seat that I want. Uh, I wouldn't have done what I've, do you know what I mean? I would have done a very, very different 18 months, very different. Um, but that's why not getting the seat isn't the be-all and end-all at all because there's so much, there's a much longer view and a much longer strategy. So, but that, but having said all of that, of course, some people, even some well-intentioned people, you know, like people in the media went, oh, God, you must be disappointed. thought you'd do heaps better. And I say, well, that's actually really lovely that you thought that you had so much faith in me. But, no, this is pretty much what you get when you start something new, you know, unless there's specific circumstances around it. And so that was really great. And that that far outweighed the moments of humiliation that I got. And when I had the because you never break through a fear this easily, you know, like I don't want to pretend that this has been like, oh, I just had to walk there and it was all great. <laughs> but, the, you know, the waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning after the election and thinking, you know, did we do well enough? Have I just wasted 18 months? I feel so embarrassed that, you know, my who used to be my friend is tweeting stuff like, oh, you didn't even get as much as the cannabis party and they didn't even run a campaign and stuff like that publicly Mm. um that voice wasn't that loud Mm. and I was able to take that out and actually say where are you coming from voice Mm. I know this might sound crazy to people but Mm. but always tried to listen to like especially the bad like the negative parts just compartmentalize it and and kind of look at it like it's an interesting voice like Mm. why are you here saying this what service are you providing me Actually, not much at all. So you can just pipe down. But the voice might come back three days, three nights later when I woke up early. But you know, here we are. It's less than a month later. Um, I'm ten days into my COVID, and I haven't woken up for at least eight or nine days thinking about 
a bad result or what's, do you know what I mean? So like it's up and down, but it's way more up. I'm going on an up trajectory overall for the whole mm. process mm. and the whole thing about breaking through fear. But I wouldn't like to pretend that it was just a straight road. It's up and then down a little bit and then up again and then down a little bit. So, but having lived through that, having sat there at the beginning and thought what would be my worst circumstance and having all of them come true, that's what I meant when I contacted you and said, my comfort zone is so big now, I feel like I could do anything. Give me a yell if there's something I can do because it, it's, it, that's what happens, right? As soon as you go outside your comfort zone, you stand there for a while, it's your new comfort zone. It's bigger. So, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, transformative for me. And I think ultimately it will be, you know, if you take a, like a two or three election cycle and a longer-term vision too about how starting these new uh, movements and networks and parties can help us prepare for the way we're going to have to govern ourselves in a time of increased disruption, then, you know, I think what a great service everyone who was involved in the process has done to starting that conversation and that that journey. Mm. It's like the genesis, isn't it, of the new? It's like, yeah. it's like you know, that initial drop in the ocean, like you guys were the initial drop. Yes. Yeah. Which now has a life of its own. Yes, it does. Um, so after my holiday, I'm also going to think about getting more people. Well, I don't even have to think about it. The people have rung and emailed and said, how can they be involved? And I always thought that I would stay with this until a few months after the election and then get a new committee in and one with broader skills and, you know, and they can kind of, I'll be, I'll still be involved, obviously. But, you know, I think it's very, and I'll be involved in a formal capacity for as long as it takes. But in my mind, it was always um, start it up, get some bones around it, get people on board, get some funding, get some structure, set some, you know, help to set a culture and then um, stay involved but hand on to the next. I, I like new energy coming into things. I mm. think it gets stale if people stay. Mm. And I've seen a lot of organisations do that. They just get to a certain point and then they just, you know, some people in places have stayed for like 20 years and I just think I've actually never seen it work. I'm sure there's examples where it's worked really well, but I've seen a lot where it hasn't. So mm. anyway. So what would you say, like, again, I've got this feeling that um, the people who are going to resonate with this episode are, you know, people who are in leadership positions or have the potential to become, to, to go into a leadership position where what they're bringing is provocative uh, and new mm. and there's, you know, they feel, they feel compelled, right? They feel compelled to go here. What would you say to them? First of all, I'd say go for it. Second of all, I'd say let's all connect with each other through yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's yes. like one thing that I've noticed, I had a few people that I could talk to, but there's not a lot of people that do this sort of stuff. So it's actually really important to have people around you. And look, if these people will already be, you know, if if someone was listening to this and they're just starting out on that journey, I'd think I'd say, 
you know, a couple of the most important things is get something like really work out what it is. And I don't mean a goal or a strategy in the normal sense. Work out what it is, like what why you are doing this and keep going back to it. So for me it was this needs to be my joy, not my burden. Yes. Um, that was the that was the that was the foundational thing for me. Yeah. Everything else I knew, but I, I needed somebody to tell me that and put that idea in my head. And that might sound really simple, but it's not. It's just so get your thing, uh, you know, one or two things that you're going to be able to keep coming back to to remind you of why you're doing it. And for me, I think that's much better if it's a, I think you need to have a personal one as well as a external one. You need a personal guiding light. Mm-hmm. Um, and then be prepared to lose some of your old it's like it's funny that you bring up the um, person who had an alcohol addiction because, you know, that I've lived with an alcoholic before and one of the things that people do who drink, their tribe or their other people who drink get really uncomfortable when you stop drinking mm. because it's what they're used to. It's that every, we've all got our own plate and suddenly somebody's going off script and coming from that sense of tribe, you don't like a disruption in the tribe. So people who are, you know, if people are starting out on something new and doing sort of this entrepreneurial leadership, they'll already have an existing tribe in whatever it is who will not be comfortable with them doing it differently. So I think the second most important thing is to recognise that you that relationships will shift, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And for me, I didn't even think about it. I never think linear in a linear sense anyway. I never think from going from A to B. I see us more as all little network positions on a soccer ball. You know how soccer balls have got little Mm. octagons and and it's an octagon itself and it's all connected. So Mm. I just felt like I was shifting to another space. Mm. For me, I like that that visual rather than I'm leaving someone behind because that presumes I'm somehow better than them. Yep. I'm not better, I'm not worse, I'm just going to another space. I'm on a different octagon on the soccer ball and who knows, I may see them around the other side, but yep. it's not for now. Yeah. And that's really, really important um, because, yeah, relationships will shift. Yeah. And then um, and then the last one is just was really important for me is just to have fun with it. Like yeah. if, I, if I went through a space where I wasn't having enough fun, um, and that happened a few times. I'd actually just stop. Mm. I just stopped. I'd just stop doing it for a couple of days or a few hours or whatever it was, and do something that was funny. Yeah. Which is why I'm becoming a comedian. <laughs> Another expression. I love it. Well, it's light, isn't it? It's light. Well, yes. And and I during the campaign, that's I was asked to do come to a comedy show. And tell the people there why I decided to run for politics. And I thought, well, it's a comedy show, so I should make it funny. So I did. And people were really laughing, like really laughing, not just politely chuckling. And it was taped and I put it up on Facebook and it had like 11,000 views in a week. Or just yes. a, you know. Yeah. And when I got off stage, I said to my husband, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Like it was just before the election was formally called. Yeah. And I said, I'll wait till after the election and then this is what I'm going to do. And so that's why my comedy show, I'm having my, I've created my own show (laughs) and I'm having it. I found another female who wants to tell stories and, and 
So we're doing a show. We've it's ticketed an event. So I just thought I'm going to go out there and be, you know, I'm not going to kind of just create a space in my bar and mumble into the microphone in front of a few friends. It's at our venue, but we've made a proper night. We're promoting it. You have to pay to come. I've got an MC. Uh, you know, I'm really going to like chuck some energy into it. Anyway, and I'm that's my stage persona, publican and failed politician. I love and, it. And that was so good because just going back to the humiliation part, it's just like, yeah, yeah, yep, that's that's what happened. Yep, completely right. And but also it's quite subversive because comedy is subversive. And I'll be doing political comedy. I'm not suddenly going to do dick jokes. So, um, <laughs> so it'll actually build my profile in a much yes. more powerful way than yes. if I spent the next two years writing op-eds on policy. Yes. Oh, my God. Just as you said, like 11,000 um, views or engagement, mm. right? Mm. Because, views, yeah. It's crazy. comedy can be transformational. Like there can be a, it, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's engaging. Yeah. You want to capture attention. What a great way of capturing attention and speaking about something meaningful. Yeah. But through comedy. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's innovation. That's, that's really innovative, isn't it? That really is. I love it. And it's yeah. fun. As you said, it's fun. I love, love, love that. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to, I want to end the way that I've ended the last two interviews uh, so Dr. Carol Haddad, I did an interview with her and, uh, another healer, Sammy Howard, and I asked them to make a declaration. No, what did I do? I, I was on retreat that I asked them to make a declaration and I spoke to, I spoke to Carol afterwards and she told me how powerful making that declaration was and mm. what has happened as a result. So when I had Shari here yesterday, who you love, mm. And I so, do. as I said, I love the fact that I'm doing back-to-back with both of you. And, you know, one of the big things that she said yesterday was about, um, you know, through the doorway of conflict is beauty. Mm. <laughs> lovely. Lovely, lovely. I asked her to make her declaration yesterday. So I'm going to ask you to make a declaration. What wants to move through you right now? So I want to honour all of the people that showed that were inspired gave time showed a hunger for trying something different by making sure that I keep stepping into vulnerable leadership rather than shrinking back out of the spotlight and into somewhere more comfortable If you enjoyed this episode or previous episodes, I would so, so appreciate you sharing the love and letting your family, friends and colleagues know about this podcast because the only way that it's going to get out there is if we use word of mouth, the good old word of mouth. So I have my hands in appreciation for you, for those who have already been sharing the love and should this part of the podcast inspire you to share amongst your network, I really, really appreciate you. Also, I've been saying that I am also returning to my first love, which is writing. So if you would like to receive me in your inbox every week, there is a link in the show notes where you'll be able to subscribe and I look forward to writing to you. 
Have an incredible week. Thank you.